The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, this is Sportbox. Welcome to the program. In the headlines, the Federal Reserve holds steady on interest rates after cutting three times this year, while Chair Jerome Powell signals he's in no rush to hike anytime soon. In order to move rates up, I would want to see inflation that's persistent uh, and that's significant. A significant move up in inflation that's also persistent uh, before raising rates to, to address uh, inflation concerns. That's my view. The focus now turns to Christine Lagarde's first European Central Bank decision for a sense of her outlook on monetary policy in a new era following Mario Draghi's departure. Elsewhere, President Trump reportedly set to meet with key officials to discuss new tariffs on China as Sunday's deadline to decide edges closer. And voters prepared to head to the polls in the United Kingdom general election with the stations in 650 constituencies across the nation due to open in one hour's time. At this hour, Brewer Blow, Australia flags concerns about AB InBev's $11 billion asset sale to Asahi. We all scream for ice cream. Nestle sells its Hagen dazs business for $4 billion. Plus, stay tuned for the results of our CFO Council survey and find out who the top brass thinks is the business person of the decade. Welcome to Sportbox. What, what's, what's that? Go on. Well, it's got us thinking. Let's what? rip up the script. Oh. Who is business person of the decade? I don't know. I know. Could it be Jeff Cutmore. We were just trying well, no, not business anchor of the decade, Jeff Cutmore, yeah. Which decade though? 1870? No, anyway, sorry. Yeah, thank you very much. No, but Pete. seriously, is there a standout? Best businessman of the decade? Uh, well, let's let's keep mulling on this before we get to the story yeah. because I think it, it, we definitely need to uh, come up with a name. Are we talking about point. a CEO? Does it have to be, or is it a private yeah. equity kind of person? Yeah, I is mean, it just about it, return? Well, a banker? You could say Mario Draghi, couldn't you? There will be a lot that will point to him and argue that with his phrase "do whatever it takes," he ultimately arrested the uh, potential recession that we would have had in the Eurozone that well, would have made things even no, worse. I, I think you could construct two very good arguments on either side well, of this Well, I absolutely one. agree with you. But so that, it's always going to be controversial. Have to be someone more ambiguous, An uh, and less ambiguous. Someone who started up a business, taken it from nothing to a billion Oh, the director just said he knows who it is. Have yeah. you looked ahead, Director? Yeah, of course he has. Uh, OK, let's, let's refocus here on okay. the central bank news then. The Federal Reserve has <laughs> held interest rates steady. It says it intends to stay on the sidelines until it sees a change in outlook or a significant move in inflation. In the last rate decision of the year, the US central bank described the current 1.5 to 1.75% mm. lending rate as, quote, appropriate and said it will monitor global developments and muted inflation pressures. The decision was unanimous, while projections show 13 of the 17 policymakers do not forecast a rate change before 2021 at the earliest. Well, speaking to reporters after the decision, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said the current policy reflected the U.S. economy's favorable outlook. As always, we base our decisions on judgment of how best to achieve the goals Congress has given us, maximum employment and price stability. 
our economic outlook remains a favorable one, despite global developments and ongoing risks. With our decisions through the course of the past year, we believe that monetary policy is well positioned to serve the American people by supporting continued economic growth, a strong job market, and inflation near our symmetric 2% goal. Powell also said it would take a significant rise in inflation for the Fed to hike rates in the near term. We think our policy rate is appropriate and will remain appropriate as long as incoming data are broadly in keeping with our with our uh, our outlook. Um, and in order to move rates up, I would want to see inflation that's persistent. Uh, and that's significant, a significant move up in inflation that's also persistent uh, before raising rates to, to address uh, inflation concerns. That's my view. Very bad when you start questioning yourself. I'm having doubts. I don't know if it's a midlife crisis. Uh, about life in general, uh, your no. place here at CNBC, or about who the business leader could be? No. Or all of the above? No. About what I say every single day. <laughs> no, not about debt. About data. Do you know, I always tell you, it's important to look at these really important pieces of data every single day. And now, Jeff, Jerome Powell, they've got me questioning myself, because think about it. Think about it. We've just had 13 out of 17 policymakers from the Federal Reserve, including all the doves out there who wanted aggressive cuts, yeah, saying, no, we don't think they're going to move in 2020. We had four. What Jeff didn't tell you, out of the 17, 13, yeah, they said we're not going to move. The other four, what did you think they thought? No, no, they didn't think there's going to be a thing that's going to be a cut. They thought there's going to be a rise, potentially, a modest rise. So that's got me questioning my usual mantras, take a look at the data. I would have been obsessing uh, about jobless claims, about producer prices, about tomorrow's retail sales. I would be telling you how important these figures are for the broader sector in the key period of the year. But now I'm asking questions and most of them are internal. Do we care about the minutiae of the data? Unless, of course, they're massive outliers and they really move aggressively in one way or other. Do we only care about the data on that premise rather than slight beat? Meet, slight miss. I think we have to ask that question now. If, if we're on hold for 2020 and we've taken that out of the game, what does that mean for markets as well? Because my goodness me, let me just remind you, since Christmas Eve last year, the Dow is up 28%. 28%. Oh, yeah, plus your invested dividend, 33% on the S&P and 39.7% on the NASDAQ. I'm asking lots of questions. I don't have the answers, but I want you to ask the same questions out there. Four tenths of 1% higher. The NASDAQ was driven higher by tech, which was driven higher by semiconductors. Materials were also uh, outperforming. Yesterday, up 0.9 of 1%. Real estate was down 0.8 of 1%. I get that on the real estate front. We all understand that, don't we? If the Fed's staying higher for longer than previously people had hoped for, real estate, slight downtick on that one. Moving on, let's have a look at the treasuries. Uh, what have we got? 1.8% on your 10-year, 2.2277 uh, on your 30. We're very accurate today. Uh, and a five-year paper trading at 1.64 in terms of your yield. The dollar crosses. Well, the dollar's been under a little bit of pressure in eight of the nine last sessions on the dollar index as well. Cape, wow, look at this, you guys out there. 132.14, I'll make no comment on that. Euro dollar trading, 111.38, 108.59 on the dollar yen, dollar yuan, 7.03 as well. Asian indices, what are you doing in Asia? Well, the Hang Seng's having a great day, 1.3% high. If you are long, you're having a great day. If you're short, of course, and we must remember, 
Many people are. You're having a tough time today. Shanghai Composite, three tenths of 1% lower. ASX 200 is down seven tenths as well. Okay, opening calls for European markets. The FTSE 100 called 13 points to the good. Uh, that aside, flat on the Zetradact and the CAC Quarant. So we talked about the 10-year there as well. The US 10-year Treasury is set to jump over to over 2%. Now that is according to, do I have to call him the Bond King every time? It's not his name, is it? It's not, his name isn't Bond King Jeffrey Gundlach. So I'm gonna strip that away. It's the last time I mentioned that. According to market player Jeffrey Gundlach, speaking to CNBC, Mr. Gundlach said the Fed's push for inflation will drive bonds higher. The Fed is cheerleading inflation higher and our models show that the CPI is going to be two and a half in a few months. And our model has been incredibly accurate, almost to the basis point. What that says is that the path of least resistance for the 10 year is higher, higher interest rates until such time as the Fed manipulates it lower. I think that the 10 year now is about at 183 or so, and it looks to me like there's some pretty good yield resistance at about 205. Uh, that should be what contains this move up from 140. Uh, that's the yields going up, not the bonds. Uh, Gundlach also said he doesn't see a recession in the next year. The odds are against a recession occurring before the end of 2020. And what's happened is consumer confidence has really held up. And the year-over-year -year, uh, 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 leading indicators from the conference board were at 7% year-over-year 15 months ago, which is really strong. And you have never had a recession in the last several decades without leading indicators first going negative. So that's really the, the canary in the coal mine. Well, Christine Lagarde will chair her first ECB meeting today. That's going to be a big headline act for many in the market. So she will be chairing that meeting, of course, as president. The former IMF boss is expected to maintain the policy set in place by her predecessor, Mario Draghi. He left rates at minus 0.5% and introduced a two-tiered system in a bid to cushion some European banks from the impact of negative rates. Draghi also restarted quantitative easing, launching a 20 billion euro a month bond buy program. The central bank also launched its third round of Teltro initiatives. The ECB has an inflation target of 2%, but a flash November reading came in at 1%. Ahead of the meeting, Lagarde set out some priorities for her presidency. Take a listen. The first is monetary policy, and I'm saying that because it's my area of responsibility, which will undergo a strategic review due to begin in the near future. More later on on that but give us time to actually do the work. Bear with me, uh, show a little bit of patience, don't overinterpret, if I may say. Uh, I will have my way of also addressing some of the key issues that have to do with monetary policy. The euro does not belong to you, you know that. It does not belong to the ECB, however well it serves it. It belongs to them, to the people of Europe. And we are merely stewards on their behalf. As we both know, we're just passing through. The hard work begins today for Christine Lagarde. Let's get to Annette for more in Frankfurt. Uh, Annette, as Christine Lagarde is meant to put her stamp on the ECB, the types of decisions we're going to see, what can the market expect as we've now also seen German bonds just lift off some of those ultra-low levels we've had in recent months? 
Well, actually, I think in terms of monetary policy, the market is not expecting an awful lot. The market will now have probably kind of a transitionary period in which it uh, will start to read and understand how Christine Lagarde is communicating. It always takes some time until the markets really understand a new ECB president. Having said that, one, when we look at her recent speeches, she was um, stressing the side effects of negative rates quite a bit. So a lot more than Maya Draghi would have ever done. So one can argue that she might not be the biggest fan of negative rates altogether. And that's also the prevalent uh, kind of view, at least um, with those people I've been speaking to inside the ECB. It seems that the fans of negative rates have more or less disappeared. Um, so I guess we hear a bit more about the side effects. And then more crucially is the staff projections for 2022. Because of course, they always need some data ammunition to also clarify or to give the markets an idea of how long that monetary policy stance will last. Because clearly, after September, the longer, the, the lower for longer stance was priced in the markets for as much as 10 years. And that is coming back now. Um, there's no more expectations of uh, a, a cut in, in the deposit rates as soon as this time or also in spring next year. Um, I guess we're going to see a reversal a bit of that uh, very dovish interpretation by the markets when it comes to the ECB policy stance. So that's one thing. Then we have the staff projection I was mentioning already. It's crucial, the 2022 inflation projections, because that's clearly the medium term the ECB is talking about. And so if we see some more conversion towards um, yeah, their target, then the market could get some fantasy when they're actually starting to exit that ultra-loose monetary policy stance. And of course, number three, is the strategic review. Um, Christine Lagarde has very swiftly communicated that they are starting to work on a strategic review of the monetary policy framework. Most likely they will start in early 2020. Um, it sounds like nothing, but that's a big thing for the ECB because it's the first uh, strategic review since 2003. So they could touch on uh, various issues. A, how they calculate inflation, for example, the Nordics, like a country like Sweden, also takes in real estate prices and they're quite successful at reaching inflation targets. Um, that's one area. And also perhaps whether they more or less want to have a symmetric inflation target. And then I think a, a matter very close to Christine Lagarde's heart is climate change. It's highly controversial inside the ECB to include climate change or climate measures into the ECB policy framework. But knowing her, what she's done at the IMF, one could clearly argue she, that she has enough stamina to actually really change the ECB to a new organization and also include that matter, climate change. We hear more from her during the press conference. I'm really looking forward to that. Back to you. Uh, Neta, thank you very much for setting the scene for us. And just uh, one for our viewers too. Make sure you tune in later on today for Decision Time. Uh, Germana and Giuliano will be hosting that coverage, 13.30 CET. Uh, Valentin Marinoff is with us, head of G10 FX research at Credit Agricole. Valentin, very good morning to you. Let me let me just ask you a very open question here. Um, did Jay Powell say the right things in the press conference? Was the decision the right decision? And should the dot plots be indicating 
limited prospect of any movement higher on rates, if anything, perhaps yeah. in anticipation of weaker inflation trends into next year. Well, certainly, I mean, the message uh, was uh, well received by the markets. And if that was his uh, objective, as in really not to rattle the markets too much, yes, I was uh, a mission accomplished uh, for the Fed chair. As regards what it means uh, for the outlook from here, it is clear that the Fed is uh, trying to balance off really global headwinds against the apparent resilience, persistent resilience of the domestic economy. Uh, it's also an election year uh, coming, so I don't think that they want to upset the apple cart in any meaningful uh, way. Uh, and uh, I think also we're highlighting during the discussion what struck me was also how open uh, he was, or indeed uh, how open uh, he signaled that the Fed was towards potentially expanding its balance sheet further just to calm uh, down the market conditions when it comes to liquidity, repo market uh, and all that. So overall, I think the mission there was uh, really given all the risks ahead. We have that key decision on the consumer good tariffs uh, on Sunday, uh, which is still coming given the uncertainty uh, really regarding the global outlook. Uh, still, I think the Fed was just uh, there preserving its, uh, uh, if you wish, options, but at the same time trying to sound as constructive as possible without coming across as hawkish. Uh, and very briefly, does it change your dollar forecast at all? What are you calling uh, well, for for the next six to 12 months? Uh, well, we are bearish the dollar, uh, but part of the call is that we're actually a bit less constructive on the U.S. economic outlook look there. One of the risks that uh, Chair uh, Powell uh, highlighted, the weakness in investment, we think is going to have a more instrumental impact uh, on the outlook in particular. Uh, we expect a further slowdown from here towards one and a half, potentially one percent growth in the U.S. in the first half. And actually, we expect them to cut rates again uh, into the second quarter, going into the second quarter of next year. That should trigger some unwinding of dollar carry trades. This is why we expect funding currencies like the euro, the yen to be the key beneficiaries uh, uh, there. So apart from that, uh, uh, we think that uh, overall political risks, uh, I mean, it's an election year after all, will also come to haunt uh, the dollar before long. And ultimately, that builds a fairly bearish case for the next oh, six to nine months. Good yes. chance here that the Fed is wrong again. And when you consider trade, I mean, there's a huge amount of optimism in the markets that a phase one trade deal is reached at some point soon. And then what happens after that, a little bit of confidence across markets. But if you look at the Fed, no policymakers suggest lower rates would be appropriate in coming months. So yep. all bets are off for rate cuts. Uh, effectively, they're saying that we're not going to deliver anything in the foreseeable future. Powell's <coughs> talking about the impact of the rate cuts that have already happened mm. and the filter through effects to the economy. How much cover does the Fed have with its most recent rate cuts providing some stimulus? What's the window of time that it fully takes for those cuts to have an impact? Well, I mean, uh, the usual uh, if you lack like relationship is close to two years as a matter of fact I mean they may have to wait for a bit longer but I think that these were insurance cuts they were there meant to really make sure that things do not get worse fact being however that if you think of how that uh, policy channel how the policy is working it is supposed to be boosting business spending business investment and this is where things are not really working so well in the economy at the same time uh, when it comes to the consumer the real way for the consumer to boost the economy is through the residential property market. And this is also where we're kind of we're not really seeing a lot of activity unless obviously the Fed engages in policies like QE, if you wish, that could lower the longer end uh, of the curve. So net net, we do see those insurance cuts still there helping, but stimulating or boosting growth unlikely. Actually, as I was saying, we think that uh, growth headwinds in the US may persist, especially if you look at shale oil industry, if you look at really uh, uh, investment on the technology side, all that has stalled actually is going into a reverse. 
so and there is very little that the Fed could do to really prevent further weakness there. Your optimism in the market, your concern about investment and downside yeah. issues. Have we just taken out, just so our viewers know this, on both sides of the Atlantic, have we taken out interest rates as a key X factor for whether we buy, sell or hold these markets? Because I look at what Madame Lagarde yeah. may or may not be able to do now. And she's under a lot of pressure not to do anything and cutting further rates. And what Powell and the team have said about the dot plot for 2020. And I think something extraordinary has happened. The, the, the aggressive desire of markets to see lower and lower interest rates has been replaced by, oh, yeah, they're not doing anything at central banks. And I find that extraordinary, given what you said about asset values, Karen. Uh, of course, a lot of it's about trade as well. But, but my point being, very clearly, is central bank action now off the table as a key factor for markets in 2020? Well, uh, I mean, uh, I guess that's uh, their implied desire. At least, uh, obviously, Madame Lagarde will be up uh, fairly soon, later today. But it's worth mentioning that during her maiden speech now as a president of the ECB, he immediately pointed the finger at the Eurozone government saying, actually, you guys need to do more. I mean, we're not done, but we're happy to help. But that's about it, right? So the era of uh, really central banking activism may they be go back behind into it. the right? shadows after the uh, Draghi. Well, era. in a way, they're out of options. I mean, I mean, to, to me, it's a recognition of the fact that where rates are, what, where QE is at this, at this stage, it's difficult to reinvent for them to reinvent themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think from the market's point of view now, it's uh, given that the Fed, as you were saying, is maybe sending a similar signal. For the market's point of view, is really how credible is the message. And whereas I think Lagarde's message as in uh, ba central bank's activism is a thing of the past, maybe more credible just because they are the rock bottom of the easing cycle, the Fed's message, I think, will likely uh, be challenged. I think people will be looking for that power put again and again. It is the only central bank out there with some ammunition left if things go wrong. All right. right. So from that point of view, answering your question, yes, in the case of the ECB, central banking may be indeed uh, kind of a going, taking a step back a bit. But in the Fed, I think their uh, role may be much greater Just next year. think of all year. those blue chip company bonds they could have bought at negative rates, though. What a missed opportunity. Oh, there's still time. <laughs> <laughs> there's still plenty of time for that. Uh, Valentin, we'll come back to you. You're going to stay with us, so we'll pick up the conversation in just a moment. Still to come on the programme, a potential high-stakes meeting is on the cards as Washington considers new tariffs on Chinese goods on Sunday. We'll have details on that story when we come back. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Mr. Trump is reportedly expected to meet with top U.S. officials today to discuss Sunday's deadline to impose new tariffs on Chinese goods. Among those set to be in attendance are the U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. Eunice has more from Beijing. 
President Trump is set to meet his top trade advisors about Sunday's tariffs tonight. Sources tell Reuters that negotiators Steven Mnuchin and Robert Lighthizer, along with the White House's Larry Kudlow and Peter Navarro, will discuss whether to keep or cancel the December 15th tariffs, which would hit some $160 billion of consumer goods, though the final decision would be Trump's. U.S. officials have hinted that the tariffs might be delayed, but China hawk Navarro has been circulating a memo in favor of maintaining maintaining the tariffs even through the U.S. presidential election late next year. Under his alias, Ron Vara, he argues that the tariffs won't have a big impact on the U.S. economy or stock market and that China hasn't changed what he considers unfair trade practices. He also says China's recent buying of U.S. pork and soybeans is purely due to domestic problems. The USDA reported that Chinese buyers just booked deals to buy 585,000 tons of U.S. soybeans, the largest sale in more than eight months. The purchase comes ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday when pork demand is strong and at a time when China is trying to build up its pig population, which was ravaged by African swine fever. U.S. soybeans are used as feed for pigs. Eunice Yoon, CMC Business News, Beijing. Uh, let's get back to Valentin Marinoff, head of G10FX Research at Credit Agricole. Um, I just wanted to pick up on a phenomena that's been very neatly expounded by DataTrek in one of their latest pieces on the, um, the Fed. And I know you're an FX guy and not an equities guy, but I think it, it's largely about risk appetite. And the Fed's own numbers show this phenomena of data drift from 1994 through to 2011, where a large part of the market gains on the S&P were actually achieved on the three days around the Fed meeting, leading up to in anticipation and then reaction of. What we saw yesterday post the meeting announcements was effectively the unwinding of two days of losses and the market spiked higher again here. Whilst more recently, because the phenomenon is well understood, maybe it has less effect. But I just wonder, coming out of that meeting, how bolstered do you feel risk appetite and animal spirits to the upside are at this stage? Well, <clears throat> that's the thing. I mean, uh, when you mention animal spirits, people uh, just want to clarify. When I mention animal spirits, uh, uh, references here demand uh, by investors in the financial industry for real assets as stocks, rather than really uh, real sector investors wanting to spend, invest. And I think uh, we did see that that diverge quite a bit as in since the advent of QE and really super easy monetary policy, one of the key drivers of the stock markets uh, was no longer the real economy or the health of the real economy. It was really the prospect for uh, more accommodative, uh, really central bank policy, be it in the form of new measures or just because the central bank wants to keep conditions quite stable in terms of low rates, historically low rates, and hence supportive for the economy. So I think that uh, what is uh, happening, what I would expect to happen really also into next year, is that uh, the central banks, even though they want to retreat in the background somewhat, I think uh, there will be call into action, especially if the global economy does not perform as well as uh, they are expecting. In other words, the role of the central banks as drivers now of uh, the markets may persist uh, and actually could become even greater. So uh, from that point of view. And just um, very briefly to wrap up the half, um, is it more critical that Jay Powell kind of blew off questions around the repo action that they're taking rather than talked about further liquidity provision. He left the door open pretty much as far as I can see here, which makes me wonder, you know, back to Steve's point about the the role of interest rates in risk appetite. Is it actually not more about the role of the Fed being willing to provide liquidity at this point 
and not running down well, that $4 trillion dollar balance sheet. We, we did see that uh, they, they, they're connected. It, it is the case that uh, uh, where you pump in a dollar liquidity in the markets, that's lowering the, the cost of that dollar liquidity, which is the rates, the dollar rates. So, so from that point of view, you do see LIBOR OIS uh, or indeed cross-currency basis swap rates really quite stable, uh, which is unusual given the time of the year where you do see what you would call dollar scarcity really being aggravated as many corporates really outside of the U.S. are forced to roll their dollar liabilities, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in anticipation of that, I think the the Fed is really holding uh, no stops there. I mean, they're saying, okay, we're open, we can potentially do more without necessarily committing to do uh, uh, really anything concrete. But uh, I think that that leaves the markets with the impression that if something goes wrong, if indeed that scarcity does resurface, the Fed will be there on their side, actually pumping in more liquidity. On the rate side, that translates in money market rates now, fairly contained. And uh, as a whole, that is acting to contain any dollar uh, rally from here. Actually makes the dollar less attractive investment currency on the whole just because supply and demand oversupply of any currency makes it less appealing uh, really for anyone who wants to buy it if you wish or not yeah the price goes down as a result thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with jeff cutmore steve sedgwick and karen show weekdays on cnbc